0: Welcome to the Gingsburg Podcast. After today's message, take a sec and download the Gingsburg app. It's the best way to find out about and engage with what's happening at Gingsburg. We hope the following message helps you activate your faith and take the next step with your journey with Jesus. Merry Christmas. Thank you. Thank you. That can be confusing. Uh, I have two children. Two of my four children were born in Ethiopia, and today is Ethiopian Christmas. So, Merry Christmas to you. Uh, My name is Fitz. I'm one of the pastors here at Kingsburg Church. thrilled to be with you today. Uh, If this is your first time here or you haven't been here very long, maybe Christmas Eve was your first time and you haven't said hi yet, I would love the opportunity to meet you and say hi. I will be in the lobby right in the middle, so I'd love it if you would just come by and say hi to me. Uh, That would mean a lot to me. Uh, I used to work at a place called Sun TV. I don't know if any of you remember this store. It was a a lot like Best Buy, just uh, worse. And... It was terrible. Anyway, um, one day I was working and a woman uh, had uh, brought a stereo back, a low-price stereo that that she had purchased uh, Christmas for one of her kids, and she wanted to return it. It wasn't working, and uh, there's a complicating factor. Uh, the CD that she had also gotten her kid was, was in the CD player, so she was unhappy about this. And I you know, reassured her, I said, ma'am, we got this, we're, we're fine. Just walk around the store, take a look around, and I will get your CD for you. And so I took it in the back, uh, I got some tools out, uh, to do this. Now, I don't know how to take apart CD players or put them back together. Uh, I, I knew how to sell them, and that was it, but I'm like, yeah, how hard can it be? Uh, apparently hard. Um, so it took about an hour, and I finally got this thing apart to where I could get the CD out, and I returned her uh, Millie Vanilli CD back to her. Not really worth my time and effort, but that's okay. Uh, But now I had a new problem uh, because um, now I had this this stereo that I had to put back together because if we tried to return it in 100 pieces, uh, we weren't going to get our money back. And um, so I got my tools. And did I label everything and take good notes? No. But there's a good reason. Uh, I'm a guy. And... (laughs) instructions. What are those? We don't need those. And so I started working on it again. About another hour later, I, I, put, the, I put the whole thing back together. So you can applaud that. Thank you. Yes, thank you. Appreciate that. Uh, there were only three screws left over. So I figured that was, <clears throat> that was a win. Uh, <laughs> building things is hard, isn't it? Maybe not for you. Maybe you're one of the few here who's like, no, I can build anything. And you're the minority if that's you. For the rest of us, it's hard building stuff. So today as we launch into the new year, I want to look at a building project in the Bible. And then I want to see if there are any lessons we can glean from it for our own lives as we go into this next year. So we don't have any leftover screws, okay? So if you have your Bibles and you haven't yet, you can turn those to the book of Nehemiah or you can uh, pull up a Bible app if you so desire. If you don't know where Nehemiah is, if you just grab the Old Testament and divide it in half, you will find Nehemiah. Uh, Let's go through a little background. Jerusalem had been the capital, it was the capital of Judah, and then a nation called Babylon came in in 586 B.C. and wiped it out. And so all the Jewish people were forced to move away and live in exile from their homeland. Nehemiah, who the book is named after, is one of these displaced Jews, and he's living in a place called Persia 150 years later. Persia had conquered Babylon in 539 BC. So, okay, a little confusing. So here's Jerusalem. Babylon comes in, wipes it out. So now it's Babylonian territory. Persia Another nation comes along, wipes out Babylon, so now it belongs to Persia. And then over here somewhere is Nehemiah. He is living in Persia. Now, he is a very trusted servant to the king of Persia. And while serving in this role, he learns that the wall in Jerusalem had been torn down. Now, remember, he's living there 150 years after the wall got torn down. So he has no firsthand knowledge of this wall at all, and yet for whatever reason, he is wrecked by this information. And we read that he wept and he he mourned and he fasted. Now, what he didn't do is immediately get on Twitter or Facebook and start ranting about the problem. He didn't he didn't go to work the next day and sit there by the the water cooler and complain to everybody that comes by. Did you hear about Jerusalem? It's the worst. You know what he did? He prayed. He prayed. Nehemiah 1 4 says, For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And the next seven verses are Nehemiah just pouring out his heart before the Lord. After some time in prayer, Nehemiah asks for and receives permission from the king in Persia to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls. So he gets permission, and he starts to rebuild the walls. Now, this is a huge task. This isn't, this isn't just a little job. Um, experts say that the wall, or the wall ranged between one and a half and two miles long and included ten gates and eight towers. So, it's a huge project. It's like, I don't know, construction on 75 in Dayton. It's just gonna take a long time. All right? Some of you might not have appreciated that. But anyway, um, so Nehemiah, he gets to work, he immediately faces opposition from some neighboring opposing nations, and as a result, He has to enact some interesting tactics. Here's what Nehemiah did. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other, and each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. But the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. So each of the builders carried a sword at his side. So they they did their work with with the trowel or whatever they were using to build the wall, but just in case trouble arose, they could lay that tool aside and pick up their sword. Now, there were a few dudes in particular who were not particularly thrilled that Nehemiah was doing this building project. Their names were Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem. You will be quizzed on that later. Um, they, they were not happy that they, he was rebuilding the walls. They were from an opposing nation, but they didn't just flat-out attack Nehemiah. Maybe it's because all the builders had swords, so they're like, we've got to try something else, so they tried distracting Nehemiah from the work that he was doing. Here's what we read, Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. So they're seeing him building, like, hey, Nehemiah, um, we see what you're doing. Great work. Nice job. Can you just come down? Let's, let's go talk about this. Let's go grab some coffee. Let's talk about this so we can tell you why this isn't a great idea. So they're trying to distract him from this work. Now, Nehemiah knew that nothing good would come out of this conversation. As a matter of fact, he knew that they only wanted evil for him, that they only wanted to harm him. So I love his response. He says this, I'm doing important work, so I can't come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it to come down to you? Nehemiah was not going to be sidetracked from the work that he felt like God had called him to do. So, long story short, in in summary, despite the opposition, uh, despite having to build with one hand and being prepared to fight with the other, despite the distractions, not to mention just the sheer size of this job, Nehemiah succeeded in rebuilding the walls in just 52 days. Literally one of the most amazing building projects in all of human history. Now, I think this story from Scripture can inform us on another building project that you all are familiar with. Because each one of you listening to my voice, whether you're in the room, whether you're joining us online, each one of you are involved in the most, the single most important building project. For you, for your family, for everyone who comes into contact with you, for everyone who comes after you, there is no more important building project than the one that you're involved in. And it's not a physical building, a physical structure that you're building. Those things come and go. Those largely get forgotten. But this building project has eternal implications. This thing that you are building is your life. The thing that you're building is your life. Too often in our lives, we wander around through our lives without much of a second thought about what kind of life we're trying to build. We we wake up in the morning, we go through our day, we put our heads on our pillow at night, and then we press repeat. And as a result, we wind up with a handful of screws, and we wonder, what went wrong? How could I have done better? Now, let me be clear, this, you might be looking at the calendar thinking, oh, he's going to talk about New Year's resolutions. I'm not. I'm not talking about New Year's resolutions today because here's the thing. If the only thing I strive for in this coming year is to be a better version of myself, I'm aiming too low. There's a better goal for me. And you, as wonderful as you are, and I've met most of you and you're wonderful, as wonderful as you are, the best version of yourself, if you aim for that in this new year, You're aiming too low. There's a better goal to shoot for. The best that we have, the best that we can be, pales in comparison to what God desires for our lives. Paul discussed the building project I'm talking about in his letter to the Romans. Romans chapter 8, he wrote this, God knew them in advance and he decided in advance that they would be conformed to the image of his son. And that's the phrase I want us to focus on, conformed to the image of his son, Jesus. The reason why this is the most important building project is not because we're trying to build a better version of ourselves. We are building in ourselves individuals who look more and more like Jesus every day through our actions, through our words, and through our thoughts. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. That's what it means to be a Christian Christian to live life as Jesus lived. But it it doesn't happen overnight. You don't go to bed one night and you're not a follower of Jesus, and the next day you are a wholehearted follower of Jesus. It doesn't happen that way. It is a building project. Paul also wrote this in the chapter right before, chapter 7. I don't know what I'm doing because I don't do what I want to do. Instead, I do the thing I hate. He knew that there was a way that he, he should be living, but he just wasn't doing it. He knew that he needed growth. He knew that there was a bit more building that he needed to do in his life. And this building project of being conformed in the image of Jesus is what we call in Wesleyan circles and Methodist circles, sanctification. This is the process of the Holy Spirit working in and through us to make us more and more like Jesus every single day. And that's a building project worth investing in this year. So as we rewind to the story of Nehemiah, what can we learn from his story? What can we learn from his building project that will inform how we journey through the next year so we don't wind up next, uh, this coming December 31st with a pocket full of screws? I think the first lesson we can take away is that we need to pray. We need to pray. Nehemiah didn't just wake up one day and go, I think I need to build the wall of Jerusalem. He invested a lot of time in prayer. Uh, Nehemiah heard about the walls being destroyed in the month of Kislev and he mourned and he prayed and it wasn't until the month of Nisan that he approached the king. Now, I know you all are familiar with these two months, right? I know because you're smart. You know then that there's a four-month gap between point A and point B. Nehemiah spent four months in prayer before he ever approached the king. He didn't just decide to do something and then ask God to bless it like we often do. I'm going to build a house. God, help me get some money. I'm going to marry her. God, would you bless bless this relationship? Now, he… He prayed, and he prayed, and he prayed, and he prayed some more, and then God opened the door for him to make his request of the king. So what if in this coming year we spent just as much time and energy in praying as we do in striving? What if before we set any goals for ourselves for the next year, I'm going to read the Bible all the way through this year, or until I get to Leviticus, and then it's just going to get bogged down. What if before we set any goals for ourselves, we quieted ourselves, and we asked God, and we said, God, what do you want for me in this coming year? And what if we believe that he actually listens to us? And what if we believe that he still speaks to us, and that he has thoughts about how we live the next year? And if we quiet ourselves, maybe we'll hear it and we'll we'll wind up with fewer screws in our pocket. So first is our need to pray. Second, we need to know what to pick up and what to lay down. Know what to pick up and what to lay down, revisiting Nehemiah 4. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand, held a weapon in the other, and each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. Now, it's speculation on my part, but I don't think the builders actually build with the tools in one hand and a sword in the other. It says they were strapped to their side. If I, if I had tried to put that stereo back together, like I did it poorly anyway, but if I had tried to do it with a sword in my hand also would have been impossible so while they were building they had the sword strapped to their sides just in case they had to use it and if they ever had to fight they could pull the sword out lay down the trowel lay down the hammer whatever they were using to build with they had to know which one to pick up and which one to lay down and so as we get into this next year we think about building a life that conforms to the image of christ there will there are going to be some things that we need to lay down and some other things that we need to pick up. And I'm not, the Holy Spirit is way smarter than I am and is fully able to tell you what those things are. I do have some suggestions, um, and maybe none of them ring true to you, and maybe the Holy Spirit's not speaking to you about any of these. And what I don't want you to do is write down this entire list and go, man, I got a lot to do this year. But maybe you just listen and quiet and say, God, do you have something for me in this list? Is there something I need to focus on? Can you highlight one of those for me? Lay down noise. Pick up silence and solitude. Life is super noisy, isn't it? Home is noisy. Work is noisy. Traffic is noisy. Uh, How much time do we spend scrolling on our phones? That's noise. Binge-watching on Netflix, that's noise. And a lot of times we do it because we're, just, we're, we're scared of the silence. We're scared of the quiet. We're scared of what we might hear if we get really quiet. And when, when, we're, when we've got all that noise and we're filling our lives with that noise, we're drowning out the Holy Spirit that's trying to whisper something to us about our lives in this next year. So what if we were to lay aside the noise and set aside some time to be quiet so that we can hear from God? I'm not saying, you know, every Tuesday go on a silent retreat all day. I'm going to go to work. I'm going to be silent all day. That'll be weird for everybody. I'm not saying get up an hour early every morning and spend that time in silence and solitude, but what if you tried five minutes? Five minutes. Or 10 minutes every morning. What if before you picked up your phone, how many of you, thats the don't raise your hand, that's the first thing you do in the morning is you pick up your phone to see who texted you, who emailed you, what's happening on the Facebook. What if you said, no, I'm not going to do that yet. I'm going to spend five, 10 minutes before the kids wake up and I'm just going to be quiet. How could that change your year? Uh, Lay down negativity. Pick up God talk. So much negativity in the world. Our entertainment is negative. News is negative. Social media is negative. Comments on social media are super negative. There's so much negativity out there. You know where else there's a lot of negativity? Right here. Right here. I'm way meaner to myself than I am to anybody else. So much negative self-talk. What if we laid aside those messages that we're hearing from out there, hearing from in here, in favor of picking up what God has to say about us? That God is our peace, that that God is our wisdom, that God can and will provide, that God can heal, that God loves us, that God has done and will do everything for us, that we have value in God. God. If we leaned into that, if we picked up those messages instead of the negative talk, how much difference could that make? Lay down self-absorption and pick up self-giving. I'm going to let the great Irish playwright George George Bernard Shaw speak to this one. This is the true joy in life. The being used for a purpose, recognized by yourself as a mighty one. The being thoroughly worn out before you are thrown on the scrap heap. The being a force of nature instead of a feverish, selfish little clod of ailments and grievances complaining that the world will not devote itself to making you happy. I am of the opinion that my life belongs to the community, and as long as I live, it is my privilege to do for it whatever I can. I want to be thoroughly used up when I die, for the harder I work, the more I live. Life is no brief candle to me. It is a sort of splendid torch, which I have got hold of for a moment, and I want to make it burn as brightly as possible before handing it on to the future generations." Lay down isolation. Pick up community. A former Asbury Seminary professor, Bob Tuttle, used to say, if you get singled out, you get picked off. When you get away from everybody else, it makes you susceptible to getting picked off. And you know what? COVID made us really comfortable with being isolated, didn't it? And we're, we're not allowed to be with anybody, and then all of a sudden we got really comfortable hunkering down at home. The problem with that is we weren't created to hunker down at home and be alone. We were created to live in community. And now we have what the Surgeon General is saying, an epidemic of loneliness. And they say that social isolation can lead to a 50 to 90% increase in early death. In individuals. We need community. We were created to live in community. That's one of the reasons why we talk so frequently about getting it in plugged into a life group, getting plugged into a, a serving group, because you weren't expected to do this life alone. We need others to walk along this journey as we walk towards Jesus. And this last one, we can thank Ted Lasso for this one. Lay down judgmentalism and pick up curiosity. If you don't know Ted Lasso, pay the $7 for Apple TV Plus and watch it. Anyway, uh, we are really good at making snap judgments about people based on one snippet of information. Because they fly a certain flag, because they uh, have a certain bumper sticker, because they live in a certain neighborhood, because they participate in a certain activity. We think we we know everything we need to know about that individual based on that one piece of information. What if instead we tried being... Curious, what if we ask questions with a sincere intent to get to know them better? Tell me about your life. What do you love? What do you hate? What do you value? What are your hopes and dreams? I think we'll find that we have much more in common with individuals than that one thing we elevate to separate ourselves from them. So first we pray, then we, then we need to figure out what to lay down and what to pick up, and then finally, don't come down. Don't come down like, like Nehemiah had with Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem. We, we're going to have all sorts of distractions, and these can take all sorts of forms. There will be people who just don't understand why you want to live the Jesus life. And they're going to distract you. There's going to be decisions that you made uh, previously in life that are going to rear their ugly head to distract you. There might be seemingly good things in your life that are trying to distract you away from the best things for your life. I'll mention it again. could be something as simple as your phone. The number of times that my phone has distracted me from being kind, from being quiet, from connecting with my wife and kids. Such a distraction. Whatever it is, whatever that distraction is for you that's trying to pull your attention away from building your life in Jesus, what if we responded with, I'm doing important work so I can't come down. Would you say that with me? I'm doing important work so I can't come down. I'm tempted to lash out on social media. So what do we say? I'm doing important work so I can't come down. I'm death scrolling on my phone when I haven't spent any time being quiet. What do we say? I'm doing important work so I can't come down. I'm telling myself that that I'm a failure because I failed yet again. What do we say? I'm doing important work so I can't come down. I'm sitting around feeling sorry for myself instead of reaching out to help someone else. What do we say? I'm doing important work, so I can't come down. I'm making all sorts of decisions on who somebody is because of one thing they posted on Facebook. What do we say? I'm doing important work, so I can't come down. Whatever you find that is distracting you, From building your life in Jesus that God wants you to build, I encourage you to say say it one more time. I'm doing important work, so I can't come down. There's a caveat, though, as we close. You can't do this on your own. It's not like a New Year's resolution. You, You can't do it on your own. This process of sanctification, of being more and more conformed to the image of Christ, we believe that it is impossible without the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Of the Holy Spirit transforming us. We can't transform ourselves. We need the Holy Spirit to work through us. To pray, We need the Holy Spirit to work in us to know what we need to lay down and what to pick up. We need the Holy Spirit to work through us so we have the strength to say, I'm doing important work so I can't come down. Which is why we come to the table on a regular basis. We're going to move into a time of communion and this is, this is not just a remembrance This is not just about remembering that Jesus died 2,000 years ago. We believe that God is present here in these elements and that God's grace is poured out through the act of receiving communion. And so we come over and over and over again because we recognize, God, I haven't arrived. I need more of your grace. To live this life that you're calling me to live I need more of you just like we eat meals every day for sustenance we come to this table for sustenance as well I hope you enjoyed today's message I've got two invitations for you before you go first subscribe to our podcast so it shows up in your feed every week And if today's message inspired you and you would like more people to hear it, you can give a financial gift through the Gingosburg app or online at gingamsburg.org.